Hey, welcome back to the Wrestling Wars Podcast. I'm here about to exercise some of my superpowers and bring a guest of mine to my superpower team. We are going to be the X-Force of online radio. We're going to be the, well, I don't know about the Suicide Squad of online radio. We're not bad guys. Uh, we got a guest today who um, is a long-time, long-time wrestling fan. Uh, bit of a bit of a mentor and a role model to me when I first joined uh, the forums that we're all a part of and where I met my other co-hosts at. Uh, long time respect his opinion on pretty much everything. Uh, so excited to have him on here. Uh, not only a long time wrestling fan, but also very uh, well versed in uh, comics and comic lore, uh, much more than I am. Uh, I'm interested in it. I watched it when I was or I read comics up to about the age of uh, 9 or 10, but I was like really obsessed with them, so I'm pretty decent with the details and who is from where and does what, but this guy uh, is one of, is, is a true, truly knowledgeable individual on it, much more so than I am. Um, so he's going to be my regular uh, guest when we discuss uh, comic, comic uh, lore, comic canon coming out in films and TV shows and uh, all that sort of stuff. So, um, everybody, make sure you have your pocket protectors and your pristine virginity intact for this episode, because we're going to get real nerdy. And not only is he a long-time wrestling and comic fan, but the man is an actual real-life archaeologist, and as not something you would really put <laughs> put with being a wrestling fan or being, you know, into that kind of stuff, but that's another thing that uh, this show should be and will be all about, and something that I take pride in is... Uh, breaking a lot of the molds and and the usual assumptions and stereotypes of your average wrestling fan uh a lot of intelligent conversation on this show a lot of you know not stuff not stuff that you would generally associate with the wrestling crowd um but you can be a successful uh gregarious intelligent well-educated person and still be proud to be to tell people hey i'm a pro wrestling fan and uh not everybody is like your average stereotypical person that you'd put in that box. So, without further ado, I'd like to introduce my co-host for today, Shockmaster. Shocky, what's going on, man? Oh, man, I don't know if I'm going to be able to live up to that uh, that glorious introduction <laughs> right there. That's what I do. That's what I do. <laughs> We're all right. Yeah, like I told you earlier, I've, I I hope I don't hack it up too bad. I'm fighting off of some tree out there is trying to pull a happening on my nose. So. Yeah, man. There's a lot of a lot of that going around. Uh, speaking of, that's good that you said that because now we got a we got an organic extra extra thing, extra DLC to talk about here. Um, have you seen the trailer for that new fucking Shyamalan movie with the grandparents that are like possessed or whatever? That shit's <laughs> no. creepy as fuck, bro. Um, oh. What is it fucking... I can't remember what it was called, because I just saw... I'm telling you, you're going to be fucking scarred after you see this trailer. Um, I'll have to send it... I'll have to go look for it and send it along to you. I just saw it the other day. Uh, I, the, the trailer just came out. I think it was last week I saw it um, on a Badass Digest, I think it was on. And um, it's has, it's fucking genuinely very creepy. Like Has there been a guy that started off with so much potential where people bought into him? And just tanked after two or three movies as bad as Shyamalan just did. Went, can, went shit can. He reminds me of like of like the movie Kanye West. Like Kanye West's first album, first two albums were fucking amazing. Then he like went insane because everybody was telling him he was so great. And then after that, his sh- stuff just went crazy. And that's kind of kind of how Shyamalan stuff went down. Like um, he almost bought his own hype. You know? Yeah, <laughs> I'm a huge fan of obviously. Um, 
don't even remember the name of it. Fucking, I see that people. Six Sense. Six Sense. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of Signs. I really loved that movie. Unbreakable um, was good. And Unbreakable is one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's pretty crazy. But this one has a very very genuine, eerie creep factor creep factor to it. So I'll have to send you the. Uh, I'll have to send along the trailer to you to, to for you to check it out for you to see what I'm talking about because it is fucking basically um I guess these two kids they go to grandpa and grandma's house for like the summer or whatever and it starts off really benign and and grandpa says oh well, you know you guys make sure you don't come out of the room after nine o'clock because that's bedtime and then like the kid peeks around the corner and of course someone's like upside down like crab walking across the hallway and like <laughs> shit's getting crazy and then slowly but surely their um the grandparents are starting to kind of go crazy and act a little bit more creepy towards the kids and then there's a scene in the trailer where the grandma asks the little girl to climb in the oven to clean it and like it starts getting fucking weird man it's a uh, it looks uh, yeah I'll have to send it along to you everybody will have to go looking for that I'll have to, oh boy can't, have to try to remember what it's called so back to our beginning how long when did you become a wrestling fan what was your height of wrestling fandom when you think Whew. of wrestling, what do you what do you think of uh, you know your best memories and what you prefer? And I I'm 34 years old, so I'm just I'm an old man when it comes to the IWC, you know. But um, my first pay per view, or maybe not so much, but my first memory of seeing something on TV that stuck was Hogan on top of the cage at WrestleMania two, right. ripping that shirt off, Pointing you down know, at Bundy, fuck yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, and I, I vaguely remember being in Cincinnati. We were kind of a borderline NWA yeah. and WWF territory. Yeah. NWA ran the Cincinnati Gardens. And WWE ran the, the what was it called? The, uh, uh, at the Riverfront Coliseum. Riverfront Coliseum, yep, yeah. yep, yep. So I remember going to both. Very young age. I, I'm lucky. My dad, big wrestling fan. Grew awesome. up with all the, you know. He remembers Bobo Brazil being at his high school gym wrestling in the 60s. Awesome. So, I mean, I heard all these stories growing up. I have an aunt that loved it. My grandmother, she watched SmackDown until she died in her 80s, you know. <laughs> just nuts, you know. Yeah. And I'm just, I come from a wrestling family. We get it. I was taught at a young age. It's not real, quote, unquote. Yeah. Yeah. Don't reenact this on your own brother. Enjoy it for what it is, you know. Yeah. And I grew up with it, you know, and that's, that's how it was. But being an 80s kid, you, if you didn't like wrestling, you weren't cool. I yeah, mean, that's, yeah, that's, it's um, just, it was everywhere, and you you were sucked into it. The WWF, people don't realize, it was ridiculous. That's, that's one of the things that I've kind of had recently a real interest in, in studying and um, getting into a lot of 80s culture and, like, checking this stuff out because it, it seems like wrestling, you know, was pretty close to, like, what UFC is to us now. Like, wrestling was just as big as anything back then. Am I, am I correct on that? I... I and this is coming from the uh, the mind of a ten year old, you know, and I, it's just, it it was huge. It and it was something that was everywhere, even at high, at school. You talked about when we were playing sports growing up. I mean, you, WrestleMania, must see things. Saturday night's main event, you stayed up late to watch it. You didn't miss this stuff, but you know, then you only got to see Hogan on TV five times a year. Where yeah. now, you know, the champs on TV. Five times 52 a week. weeks a year yeah. it's it's at least you know it's it's ridiculous so uh going going towards that um why do you think 
first of all, what do you, what do you personally think about the, the product right now as compared to uh, back in your day, and what are the differences, and why do you think it's it's not that way anymore? Exposure. I mean, when you have networks, especially NBC Universal with USA Network and Sci-Fi, yeah. they're throwing money at the WWE. Why would the WWE turn down making all this content if someone is willing to pay them? Hey, for, I'm right there with you. I've, yeah, I've said it, it on here it before. Is, it's absolutely ridiculous from a fan. How in the world could anybody that even loves wrestling sit and watch eight hours a week of WWE product? I don't even know if that's what it is anymore at this point. But someone is paying them to do it. And if someone's paying me to do something and it's an inferior product, but they're going to still give me X amount of money, I'm going to throw something out there. Yeah, yeah. And it, I mean, it, it sucks for guys like Asina, who is so overexposed, but he has to be out there because he's the face of the company. But in yeah. you know, he he becomes this character that people just they hate because he's on TV so much. But what else if this were do? yeah, if this were thirty years ago and this were Hogan, he's Hulk Hogan. People would have ate it up. But and, and I guess Hulk that would had, go that would play into my next question and something that I've argued with people back and forth uh, in various places. You know, people talk about Sam Martino and his run and Hulk Hogan and his, you know, what was four or five year run. But Cena has been the man, a top draw, the face of the company for a decade. And in one month for Cena, he's on TV and he's exposed more than Hogan and especially Bruno would have been in a whole year. So yeah. do you think what he has accomplished is even though well we can we can argue that portion of it too but even though he it doesn't feel like it has the cultural impact that it had back then but what is his what he accomplished in an era where he's so much more overexposed than those guys were is that just as or more impressive to you i i'm gonna piss a lot of people off but i think john cena can make a damn good argument for being the number one wrestler of all time in the Vince oh, yeah. McMahon era. Oh yeah. oh yeah. Simply because of the exposure that he has had. It's he's everywhere. He's on social media. He's on, you know, sometimes three times a week on programming. The guy, if you look at a strictly kayfabe point of view with the amount of television matches that that guy has wrestled compared to other big draws, it isn't even freaking close. Not even close. Yeah, it, the amount of pay-per-views he's headlined. Yeah, he's had some crap, but he's had to work with some garbage people that other big-name guys would never step in the ring with. Well, how could he not? He, you you we, need somebody for him to go against every every month, you know? So Yeah, and that's the thing, too. If you were building a company, and I'll throw this hypothetical out at you, knowing everything you know about the entire career of Hogan, the entire career of Austin, if you were going to start a wrestling company today with Hogan, Steve Austin or John Cena, who would you go with? Just just with their attributes, or are we talking with... With the baggage. Um, that's, see, the hypothetical told me... I mean, obviously, if you're going to go with longevity, overall uh, abilities, you're going to go Cena. But I, I'm like, okay, if I'm going to start a company, am I going to catch the kind of fire that Hogan caught? Am I going to catch that's, the kind yeah, of fire that Austin caught? If you can't guarantee that to me, then it's obvious you go with Cena if if you're going with what we're talking about here right. as far as um, 
every week he's out there. Every week he's solid promos. Uh, you can count on a great match from him uh, at least three or four times a year. Um, and he's been, I mean, 10, 10 years running strong. Durability has kept the same amount of popularity. Um, yeah, yeah, totally agree. It's hard. I mean, like I said, I, I personally, he's not my favorite wrestler. You know, I'm a 35 or 34 year old guy. He doesn't speak to me. You yeah, know, the yeah. product's not geared towards me, and that's what a lot of people have a that's big a lot problem. Of people have a hard time understanding. Yeah, yeah. It's WWE has always been a baby face, baby face centric company, yep. and yep. it always caters towards a younger crowd. And anybody that thinks it's ever going to change is just kidding themselves. And uh, once the one thing I was going to discuss, a point I was going to make that I kind of brought up a little bit ago was. You know, people would argue, well, Hogan was the the rock and wrestling era. So mm-hmm. a lot of a point that a lot of people would make about John Cena is that they haven't crossed any new barrier. They haven't broken through any any ceiling since he's been there, um, since he's been the face of the company. You know, Hogan had the rock and wrestling era where it was as popular as you're talking about it was mm-hmm. back in your day. Um, uh, Austin had the Attitude Era, which obviously we could do me and just me and you and KB could probably <laughs> jump on here and do and do a podcast just about if the Attitude Era was actually a good thing or a bad thing. Um, we also have, but we have Cena, who I'm pretty sure here towards the tail end of their of his run, didn't they start their own network with him? Yeah. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. Now, there's been no stories backing this up, and I'm sure those stories will begin to trickle out in the next four or five years. I mean, if you think that they started this network and they didn't use a ton of the dollars that John Cena generated for them to do it, then you're fooling yourself because they definitely did. They wouldn't have launched it if they didn't feel it would be viable. They wouldn't launch it if they didn't feel it would be money. And they did this while Cena was the main guy and from the money that he has made them in the past. I'm 100% sure of it. So, you can say that they didn't cross any borders or break through any levels, but uh, that's a pretty huge level since the WWE is the only thing of its... The WWE Network is the only thing of its type. Like, okay, you have Netflix, but Netflix has everything. That would be like just a section of... Because Netflix used to have WWE documentaries in the WWE section. That's like a section of Netflix making up their own Netflix and still having over a million subscribers. Yep. So there's nothing else like the WWE Network. Okay, there's other streaming services, but HBO Go has Game of Thrones. It has True Detective. It has Real Time with Bill Maher. They have a bunch of different stuff. Netflix has comedy, documentaries, action, new movies. Well, not that new, but movies. Um, they have all these different sections. The WWE Network is just wrestling, just the WWE, and it is has an excess of a million subscribers, and this happened while Cena was in the lead of the company. So how you, anybody can say that he didn't help usher them past a certain level and help them break into a new area of popularity, um, I don't know. I don't know how you can say that if you really consider it. Well, even if you look at the tonal shift of the product itself, where when Cena started off as champion, it was the ruthless aggression, you know, whatever yeah. tail end of that, where it was hyper-violent, guys were blading all the time, they were trying to be an extension of the Attitude Era and cater to that extreme fan, and then, you know, the Benoit thing happened, Yeah, and 
it is a different product today because they had a guy like John Cena that said, we are going to turn this into a TV PG kid friendly environment. And it is just a different company. I think that the athletes are better today than what they've been in the past. Yeah. I just think they are not given the opportunity to go out there and show it, but there is no way you can look at a guy and, Hell, I, I, you know, I don't care for the guy Dolph Ziggler. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. But the guy is an athlete. <laughs> yeah, and you yeah, know, absolutely. if he were, if he were given the time to develop, he, you look at him and like a guy like Hacksaw. Yeah, <laughs> with the yeah, big old absolutely. beer gut hanging out all absolutely. over. Absolutely. You know, unfortunately it, it, enough, Dolph Ziggler couldn't get as many people to care about his match as Hacksaw did. It was his uh, yeah, life depended on it. if he damn lit himself true. on fire in the middle of the ring. But. That's that's a whole that's a whole nother here nor that's a whole nother that's another one that's a whole nother podcast when you're comparing the athleticism the athleticism of guys now who can't fucking work to the lack of athleticism of guys back then who like, were stick their damn thumb up and incredible <laughs> at working but that's because the recruiting is different now too wrestling used to be a thing that you couldn't get into it unless you were um, super passionate about it and you found a way to get into it whereas now if they go to places and recruit athletes like almost like a like a like a superpower college they go to wrestling they go to bodybuilding they go to acting and they recruit people who are great athletes but haven't wanted to and haven't been trying to do this since they were 16 years old you know what i mean so yeah, and- and today you also got guy, you know, MMA as an option, and then even with WWE, yeah. they're less focused on the adult male, like we discussed earlier, and they're trying to get the female viewer in. Yeah. And with yeah. HD cameras, there's got to be a certain sex appeal, yeah, you know, yeah. and guys have got to look good. They can't be in there with stretch marks all over themselves, and, you know, and big old hairy guts hanging out. Like a guy like Vader in HD, could you imagine that today? And that's the kind of well, he'd be. Well, I don't know if they would book him. He'd probably go out there and make poop and fart jokes and be a face. I'm about to say, yeah. I, they could totally book him as a as a big uh, nasty bully heel. But I don't even know, you know, if they have the the ideas, the subtlety to pull that off these days. But there's something to be said about the fact that if that is just as much a large portion of your fan base that you're trying to draw in they're not going to pick up on as much of the subtleties and the art form of of how things are of how things work as uh me and you or older viewers and that's also the dichotomy that I've discussed on here before that um that is in relation to the main roster and NXT NXT is there on the online service where they know people who are number 1 are paying to watch the online service so they obviously have some sort of income or are trying to pay for it um they're savvy with the internet they're fans who are on the internet regularly they're gonna go looking for that that's most likely more so than raw or smackdown going to be your 18 to 40 male demographic and male demographic is going to pick up on more subtleties like that that's why you see a lot more simplicity and a lot more focus put on in ring and uh in ring work and more subtle characters subtle storylines and uh, things like that. That's why they put, you know, guys like Steen and Steen. I'm about to say Steen and Generico. <laughs> Zane and Owens in the main event is, uh, you know, that that both of them are just are are kings of subtleties, and that's why I think the, the uh, older male demographic loves them so much. Oh, NXT is beautiful. I mean, it, it really is. We really can't it say is. it enough on this show. If anything, if I get one or two more new viewers to NXT because of this show. Then it'll all be worth it. <laughs> my, my big fear 
is that if NXT does become popular, oh yeah, I'm right there. I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. Here we go, uh, ECW all over again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, I'm uh, just trying to trying to enjoy it now while it lasts. Yeah, you want it to be successful, but you don't want it to be so successful where it bursts the bubble that's in now. Yeah, where to where Vince starts to care about it, and want to be involved in it. Uh, Kevin Dunn. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um. So that's uh your your wrestling background. I hope that hopefully that uh, gave people a pretty damn good idea of the the acumen involved here. You are also an archaeologist, and that is crazy. So <laughs> tell me uh, why 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 archaeology? We'll start with that. What 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 was the interest at in the beginning? All right, like, I'll stress to you, like I told you earlier, I I am no longer a professional archaeologist. Hey, goddammit, if you've yeah. been through school and you've been called an archaeologist to me, you are a motherfucking <laughs> archaeologist. So, I, go ahead. You know, I'll go with amateur right now as All respect right. to other people are still doing it, but uh, I don't know, growing up, always big into science, math, history, and you know, I gotta bore everybody to death, but you know, at, at, and my favorite movie growing up as a kid, Raiders of the Lost Ark. And that's probably what most people think of when they think of archaeologists. And I'm going to tell you, I'll disappoint you, it is nothing like Raiders of the Lost Ark. Well, what was the, before we get into what it's like, what was the school like? What was the schooling like? Like, what'd you, how long, where, where'd you go? How long did it take? What was it, was it really arduous? Is it like trying to become a doctor? Oh, yeah, I went, to, I went to Hawking College, which is uh, right, it's a subsidiary school of Ohio University down in Athens. Okay. And, um. Uh, it, it is just, we, what we did there, we were very field-oriented. And unlike larger universities where they want to teach you about Greek archaeology and Roman archaeology, it's just stuff that's not practical when you're living in the Midwest. Yeah. You know, how often am I going to go over to Greece and dig up a pit? Yeah. Not yeah. very often. So what we did was very heavily Native American-influenced. And luckily for my part of the country, the the Eastern Woodland Native Americans. There was a lot of Native Americans all through. Yeah, area. any giant river or even tributary, chances are if there's a terrace, there's going to be some sort of site there. Yeah. And you know, schooling it was it was everything. It was geoarchaeology, which dealt with basically looking at the ground, taking a layer of soil off at the time seeing a discoloration in the soil and saying, could there have been something there, like a wood post where someone could have built something? It's being able to just look at the soil and see, hey, there was a structure here 500 years ago. That's and it takes, it takes a, lot of, a lot of training and a lot of just meticulous work. Yeah, I'm out it, already. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, point identification, projectile point identification, which included Spear points, atlatls, which atlatls are the coolest thing in the world if you're not familiar with them. I'm not. What are they? What is that? Um, basically, the uh, the evolution of the projectile point. Okay. You start off with a spear. Yeah. You know, put let's put this pointy thing on the end of a stick and stab something. Hell fucking yeah. Now you're talking yes. about Yes. And then, you know, uh, uh, hey, and then the bow and arrow. But in between the spear and the bow and arrow was this thing called the atlatl. And it's hard to describe it. You basically you use your wrist to fling a stick that has a projectile point kind of latched into the end of it. And it 
seems impossible, but my instructor, he could wing a thing 300 yards accurately, and it was wow. just ridiculous. Uh, I, I'm just sitting there, like, how in the hell is he doing this? <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah, and then you get into the bow and arrow, which that thing, you know, obviously kicked ass, and then there's the crossbow, which... We didn't see that in this part of the world. Yeah, I was about to say, I don't remember. I remember crossbows were pretty popular in uh, Europe. And, no, no, that wasn't, a, that wasn't a Native American thing, though. All right. All right. And then, um, so, you did that, got you, um, and then, so what, okay, now, now, what's it What's it like when you were actually, you're done with school, and you're going out, you're a, you're a fucking archaeologist now. This is, uh, that's what it should say on your, on your, <laughs> on your business card, by the way, uh, so what's what's it like out there? What's the what's the real deal? Now you, now you can get back to feeling the seedy underbelly. Well, you, you know, the new guys, you you start off in the grunt work, which the grunt work is fun. That's the field work. Okay. Um, I'm just gonna overly simplify it. You go around, and you dig test pits at a potential site. Basically, make a giant grid about every ten feet. You dig a one meter by one meter square and you go down to where you know there would be no soil disruption so either to declare it a bedrock if you haven't found anything you're not going to find anything if you go any deeper than that so if you get a hit on one of your test pits you mark it and then you come back to that test pit and you start digging slowly around it until you figure out what it is that you hit in the ground so your test pit hit would be finding a projectile point shard, a piece of pottery, bone, you know, a stain in the ground, an old, what we call fire cracked rock. It's just rock that you know has been burned where someone's made a pit. And from there, you know, you just start exploring. And if you, uh, if you, start if you end up. good stuff, then you have to call over the. Yeah, hey, well, you know, if you get a hit, it's all, it's automatically a good thing. You know, yeah, you're, yeah, you're hoping. Yeah, but, um, I never found anything too crazy. The biggest thing that my roommate and I found was a uh, a rockstone, groundstone hammer, which was pretty cool. But yeah, that is pretty fucking badass. Because with, with, like, with that, well, with that information, you know, hey, someone took the time to make this. To so make this. yeah, and, and they're not. You don't just idly drop a groundstone hammer. Hammer, yeah, they're probably yeah. living there. Yeah. Yeah, so they're sure. living there, and so there, you know, I can expand from here and get more information and hopefully potentially find something which we found a pretty decent site at on campus at school so that's pretty pretty awesome man so why did you yeah. uh you've talked to before about about uh politics and kind of oh, the way that it works <laughs> that you wouldn't think of um what, what go into that a little bit well it, you just get you know old blood where hey we're set in our ways um in archaeology you don't you don't try to prove something right you just let the information and the facts tell the story okay and whenever there's a site that comes along and this is just a generalization like you know we believe that Native Americans crossed the land bridge in North America 10,000 years ago yeah 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 but if you find something that says wait a second we otherwise. were actually here 13,000 years ago Oh, they don't want to write the history books over again because of that. Where really, really? Yeah. It, well, that's the old, old blood, you know, and that that's just the the type of people that were in charge, at least in the area where I was at. It's funny and, uh, you draw, and this is 
a whole another can of worms. But to me, that kind of draws a parallel between, and I've had conversations with people when people try to um, bump religion and science up, to, up against each other. And I try to tell people, you know, that they have a lot more common with each other than people realize or like would like, like, like to admit both on the positive and the negative side, whereas a lot of deeply religious people want, would rather stick their head in the sand and not ask questions. It sounds a little bit like with archaeology, that's kind of what you're saying as well. When something comes up that might need to be dis- explored or discovered to ask more questions to figure out, you know, maybe something a little bit different than what we know happened, the old blood is not really interested in doing that. Well, because they, you got to remember that these are people that probably 50, 60 years old that have been dealing with their facts for 40 years. Yeah, yeah. So when something comes along and changes their perspective, it's like, shit, I just wasted 40 years. Yeah, they don't want but it. it. But, and then again, but that's that's not what you're supposed to be in there for. You're not supposed to be in there to prove anything. You're just supposed to be in there to let what you find tell the story. You know, and if there's something you find that changes what you believe, then damn it, that's what it is. And I was about to say, that sounds to me like, well, if something, if you're there to let the facts tell the story and you find something that factually shows that it's different than what you thought before, then that should speak for itself. And now I can, I'm beginning to understand some of the frustration that you may have associated with the, with the job. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, there, there's, and I know I'm not sure how true it is anymore but the big prime example was is that they believe they found a site somewhere around Argentina that's 22,000 years old wow. now how crazy is that you know where oh shit this is 12,000 years earlier than what we thought and what yeah. how the hell did they get you know Alaska to Argentina well wasn't there um and I really hope you know what I'm talking about because I'm going to be really vague on the facts because I just came across this and I've run I've read a shit ton of history so some stuff I'm not exact with the details on because it's just been so much but didn't they find um, I think it was in North Carolina or Virginia I want to say it was a type of arrowhead or spear tip that um, was only the design was only existed in another part of the world it was different from the types of arrowheads that we normally found find and it only existed um, it was that's where I saw it it was in it was a documentary on Discovery Channel about other people who may have discovered America uh, other than Columbus that were here yep, way yep. predating it. And basically there was a type of arrowhead found here that only existed um, in like the Levant area um, that was thousands and thousands of years older than it was like it was like, uh, you know, like prehistoric almost the type yep. of arrowhead and. We haven't found it anywhere else in the nation, and we have a very specific type of arrowhead from the types of Indians that came over the land bridge. Yep. Um, but it was different, and it was there, and they found it. Yeah, well, you got to remember, the, you know, around the Ice Age, how much further out the shorelines were because the yeah. ice you well, know, that, sucked that all the water. Was, that was the, the evidence. They thought that there was probably yeah. a lot more ice that may have connected the European continent to Iceland and Greenland and then to North America. Uh, and sea levels were, you know, shorelines went out 10, 20 miles, maybe 100 miles out from yep. where they were now. So really, you so could it, have almost island hopped. Island hop across the Atlantic Ocean, yep. you know, yep. where you have significantly lower sea levels and you have more ice that you can yep. ride along. Yep. And, you know, you can just follow whatever marine life is to feed yourself to this ne- new world. Yep. And then, but they like said most of 
if there is any evidence, it's underwater at this point. Yeah. You know, how are you going to find it when it's under two miles? You're not going to find an abundance yeah, yeah. Of, of those types of arrowheads. <laughs> yeah. And Especially the water... The colony didn't didn't thrive when it got here. Exactly. You know, and it's just... It, it, it's just... There's a lot out there. It's awesome because there's so much more to this world so that we had more. no idea. That's what I try to tell about. people when they get too passionate about arguing about it. I'm like, dude... We don't know anything. We know 1% of 1% of what actually anything happened. Just... Just don't believe what you hear on Ancient Aliens. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I ask. Yeah, so, so much for that. That'll be that'll be a fun podcast. We'll just we'll just live we'll just live watch a, an episode of Ancient Aliens and you can just go crazy. Uh, that, well, that there's go. That's a that's an interesting thing from an archaeologist perspective. Me and you, we've discussed the Nazca Alliance before. Give me uh, your opinion. On... Okay, ladies and gentlemen, it looks like we uh, lost Shockey's call. So I'm gonna go over the rest of the show um we're gonna go for talking about uh the rest of archaeology and and how the nazca lines and things like that interesting things like that may have uh impacted all right sir now god damn it i'm gonna need some answers from a real live archaeologist what do you think of the nazca lines what do you think of the fact that people can only see them, you know, if we're going to sit here and we're going to try and talk bad about Mr. The Guy with the Cool Hair on Ancient Aliens. <laughs> what are we going to do? How do you explain to me, sir, that there are big fucking spiders drawn in in, in stones out in the middle of, of the countryside that are only visible from space? Tell me what those people were doing. Ha! Huh. Any theory that you can throw out there, I guess. You know, I, it, I've been there. It's cool. There's no doubt about it. Um, it could just simply be deity worship. You know, let's go big. Hey, this is our guy. Let's go big. Let's go crazy. What else are they going to draw on out in the middle of the desert? Okay. Yeah, there's there's nothing there well, to build. How do you build. line it up? How do you line it up so perfectly to where it can be seen from the sky? Well, it's like anything. You, when you're in ancient culture and your life depends on the change of the seasons, and you're you are far more aware of astronomy than what we are because that's how you lived your life your life was by the stars so how they lined it up I don't know they, they're I said I would say that ancient people were far more in tune to their surroundings than what we are we've just become complacent and we don't need to know cardinal directions off the top of our head okay they do you know, because there's no form of communication. We get lost, we find a GPS. They get yeah. lost, they're 2,000 miles in the desert without any water. Yeah. You know, it's just different times. It's just hard to contextualize as a 21st century person life as a, you know, 2,000-year-old ancient prehistoric person that has no concept of anything but the stars. It would drive it's, me crazy because I'm the type of person who has to... uh who has to uh, quality check everything before I'm done with it? Oh well, and I don't know how the fuck you do that. <laughs> and, well, that's that's why in this field you go out to try to find the answer. Why would yeah. someone do this? Yeah. You know, it, yeah. It's who knows. You know, someone out there's probably got a good idea, better idea than I do. All right, all right. But uh, at least I don't. I don't. I'll stress this. I'm not saying aliens don't exist. That's completely naive. But to believe every accomplishment in human history is because an alien taught us how to do it is also, you know, it's doing us a disservice. 
Okay, so on that, before we move on to the comics, uh, real quick, I have an awesome segue. I can't, I'm so happy that I just <laughs> thought of this. Um, the pyramids. Now, my theory is, because everybody, you know, they always post those pictures, and they're like, oh, well, you know, it's it's built this way in Egypt, but it's also built that way in Montezuma's castle, and it's also built that way <laughs> in, for the Mayans, and it's also built that way for in Indonesia, so these cultures never talk to each other, so how could they have known to make them the same way? And to me... The, the answer is obvious, as you saw at the end of the last X-Men movie, that Apocalypse built all of them. <laughs> That's but, true. No, but honestly, to me, it's because, and this is just gee whiz, you know, simplicity, um, there's probably only one fucking way to make them. And just because one really technologically advanced uh, civilization figured it out doesn't mean that other civilizations didn't figure it out. No, there's <laughs> other ways to make them now, but back then... There was probably only one method of, or a very similar method of making it happen, that if you're going to do this, this is the way you're going to have to do it. You know what I mean? And that's, and that and also with what we discovered about how much, how much traveling old cultures used to do, uh, nobody can say for sure if those cultures never did talk to each other anyway, but what do you think? Never know. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, a square is a basic shape that most people are familiar with, and yeah, this is getting more into engineering, but I just would imagine building it up is just the way to go, and it's just it's a basic, simple shape. So you're not talking about someone designing a helix. Yeah, yeah. You know, building well, that, it, and you it's a pretty simple system of you know a ramp and pulley system. That yeah, you don't have to be a fucking genius to figure out. I was helping a IC25. I was helping him move into his new house and we were trying to move this giant fucking TV that weighed about 6,000 fucking pounds out of the basement <laughs> and I'm like hey and we had to go up these stairs to get outside and I'm like hey you got two 2 by 4s and a rope yes I do and then we just pulled it up real easy I mean that's it didn't take me I'm not a fucking civil engineer to figure that out so it's basically the same concept you got a, a slope and you got something to bear the weight for you and then you got a pulley system take, giving you the mechanical advantage to pull it up I'm not saying that's exactly how they did it, but it it's probably something like that. And it doesn't well, take a fucking genius to figure it out when you start from a square base. And you have a labor force of however yes. many hundred yes. thousand. And, and people would say it's slave labor. But when they were building these things, they're rulers. People don't realize they were God on Earth yeah, incarnated yeah, yeah. in that body. Yeah. You know, So you might have been a slave, but you damn sure built their monument for them because you weren't going to the underworld when you died, you know, yeah. and because you yeah. pissed your, your ruler That's off. Something that'll be a good thing when I have Barbosa on when we do the ancient history one. I'm gonna, Damn right. I'm gonna that, that'll be interesting. Because there's a lot of debate between, uh, depending, a lot of it I've seen is depending on what part of the world you're from as to whether that was slave labor or whether it was people who got paid wages and it was kind of an indentured servitude or what exactly. Um, but I think we both know the answer. And the answer is <laughs> that Apocalypse led those people to do those things. Speaking of Apocalypse and comic books, here we go. If everybody was able to stay awake through the history lesson, we're here to the comic portion of the podcast. How long have you been reading comics, and um, do you still st- you, you seem like you still kind of stick with it today? Do you? Uh, I'm not I'm not so much. I follow it just because yeah. it's like wrestling. It's hard to cut cold turkey, and that's just yeah. open-ended storytelling. 
Yeah. You know, what, what do you, you can't just, hey, these characters are there and there's no ending. So it's like, well, I think keeps kind of drawing me back in. Yeah. You know, it's yeah, just, you know, you're sure. curious. You're invested in them for, you know, your teenage years. And then, hey, I'm going to come back and just see how he's doing. And, hey, there it is. He's, so he's doing you, fine. So when did you start off? When you were preteen or? Uh, probably 12. My mom bought me some comics when I was young. Okay. She, she ended up buying me Grant Morrison's Arkham Asylum. Oh, boy. Okay. You, yeah, did you, and I was uh, nine years old when she bought me that. <laughs> she had no idea what was on the inside. She just figured it was a nice comic book and it was Batman. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, that kind of uh, that kind of set me off Got on a weird... Got pretty hardcore. Got pretty hardcore. Yeah. Um, so, so you were mostly, were you mostly DC, X-Men, Batman? Because I liked Batman as like a movie character and a TV show character because that's when I was a child of the 90s. So yeah. I knew Batman more from movies and from the cartoon as less than the comic books. Comic books to me were uh, were the X-Men. That's what uh, X-Men and Spider-Man, and then uh, they had their two TV shows that were very popular in the 90s as well that I used to uh, really be into. So uh, what, what were you mostly into when you, when you were a kid and you first started reading them? Batman growing up, okay. the movie, that movie was just something else when it came out. Oh, you know? yeah. Oh, it, yeah. It I remember. I'd, I'd probably tell you every fucking line of it. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, and then, but we all, you, you probably remember the old 60s Batman show. Oh, yeah. You know, oh, yeah. On reruns Shark all the time. Shark repellent. Oh, yeah. Shark repellent, everything. And, um, but yeah, I think when I got into it, it was clearly when that X Men animated show came out. Okay. At, that was at an age where, you know, I'm 10 or 11 at the time, and most of my friends were getting out of cartoons, and it came out on a Halloween, I think. Well, the thing thing about that show is, and if any of you have not out there have not seen X-Men, the animated series, you you really, really should go check it out. It's on Netflix, or it was the last time I checked. Um, You say, you know, your friends were getting out of cartoons, and, and you just got into it, but the show had so many adult themes, Oh yeah, and themes that were before its time, and talking about uh, inequality and prejudice, and uh, you know, uh, now it was it was pretty hammy at a lot of parts, and yep. you know, kind of kind of it's kind of make you laugh now, but it's dated, but yeah. yeah, it's dated absolutely, but still, there's still a lot of good stuff in there that that's really relatable to to uh, prejudice and to uh, just it touched on a lot of tones that were very adult and very ahead of its time, so I would definitely recommend it to anybody who hadn't seen it yet. Yeah, and I think X-Men just, uh, like I said, my friends all kind of sat around like, did you watch that Saturday? And then once we all found out that we all watched it, we're like, oh, yeah, okay. And then, you know, X-Men just blew up into something crazy in the early 90s. I mean, it was popular in the 80s, but the popularity it hit in the 90s, it's just insane. It's probably what Avengers is now. You know, I would say it's probably fair to compare the two. But there's just the social commentary and the awkwardness yeah. that yeah, X-Men... Yeah, absolutely. Especially you know, most of them are coming to grips with it when they're teens. And yeah. So it's relates just, to people trying to come of age and find themselves as well. Yeah. And it hit me right at that age, you know, yeah, where you're yeah. becoming a teenager and then, oh, these people are getting their powers when they hit puberty. And it's just it, and it's just something that it, it hit me, you yeah, know. It's yeah, like, wow. Yeah. And then I got into it, and, and when I say I got into it, I got into X Men, and uh, that's probably the one I stick with, still to this day. That's that's cool, because yeah, that's probably the one I'm most knowledgeable about myself. Um, speaking of knowledgeable, a lot of knowledgeable fans were very very upset with the the Batman versus Superman trailer. 
I I got I have like a little mini mini rant about it, so I'll I'll let you <laughs> let you go first. Um, what um, what did you what did you personally think about the trailer, and what do you think about everyone losing their fucking minds about it? I think it's silly. I think there's a lot of uh, carryover hate for Man of Steel that I don't. Which I also don't understand because I thought that was a very good movie. Um, but man, or, uh, Batman vs Superman is going to be a Zack Snyder movie, and I think Zack Snyder is a polarizing director yeah, with his yeah. style, and I think people are just gonna shit on it, the shit on it sometimes, and oh, yeah. I think you get that yeah. Marvel versus DC fanboy thing. Well, okay, you, you get Marvel. Okay, no, 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 that's a different. Different, yeah, we'll get, different yeah. than the avenue I was going to go down. Okay, I got you. I got you. But, um, but yeah, it's just, I don't get the hate that the trailer got. Um, I don't know. Well, where are you at on it? Man, I couldn't have had a more raging erection after I watched that fucking trailer. Like, you talk about the Marvel versus DC. To me, the Marvel versus DC thing is like, okay... It's funny because you'll get the same groups of people complaining about how Marvel is is overwrought with one-liners and, uh, you know, it's all kind of cheesy and fluff popcorn bullshit. But then we'll turn around and say um, that this this trailer was too serious and it was too dark and blah, blah, blah. Like, decide what the fuck you want, Goldilocks. Like, (laughs) god dang. Like, I agree. I'm I'm fine with, with the two companies... Um, finding their own niche in in what they're trying to do with these comic books, and in a general sense, um, especially Batman. I don't know much as much about Superman because I was never into Superman when I was a kid because the fact that he has a secret identity and yet does not wear a mask was always just the most stupid fucking thing to me in the world, even as a yep. kid. But yep. Batman, I am aware, is is darker, is grittier, is more serious. Like every Batman comic I've ever read or gotten into was very serious and violent and you know a lot more for a hardcore um a hardcore audience so if marvel wants to go that the way that they want to go with their films and they want to be full of one-liners and they want to be over the top and just fun summer movies then great like good for them they can go that way it's a comic book thing it's superheroes brought to life that's awesome like i'm totally cool with that if DC wants to go a different direction, especially when a lot of their characters are sort of rooted in in that kind of lore, then I fucking encourage it. And I thought and I thought the trailer was awesome. I thought I think it's a really cool um, kind of kind of expanding your horizons type thing to try to bring these characters into a as close to real life setting as you can. What people got to understand is. DC has tried with these characters before and failed fucking miserably, miserably to bring them out to a large audience, to bring them popularity. Um, So if the only way the audience is going to take a character like, say, Aquaman seriously is is to have an interpretation of Aquaman that's more serious, that's more grounded, that looks quote unquote cooler. That's going to um, appeal to a certain audience. Then that's what they got to do. Same thing with Wonder Woman. Same thing with the entire Justice League. And I don't know if anybody has noticed, but a lot of the Justice League animated films that have come out lately that have been critically raved about have all been pretty adult and pretty serious and and more catered towards an older audience. 
So, no. People need to get over it. There's nothing nothing wrong with taking a more serious approach to their group, of, especially when you're trying to differentiate yourself and make yourself something different than just another comic movie because Marvel already has that area of area of entertainment kind of kind of taken over, kind of uh, tent-pulled. So, no, I think people need to get on with life. Yeah, DC is at a disadvantage if it wants to be like Marvel. You know? Exactly. exactly. Marvel, ha- Marvel also has the benefit of Disney pumping all their programming on their networks, you know, all yeah. those cartoons. They are building a young audience. DC doesn't have it. They, they can throw that Teen Titans bullshit away or whatever, you know, craps on Cartoon Network. That's just garbage. But it's it's just that territorial pissing. You saw it during the Monday Night War where, well, my company's ratings were better than yours. Yeah, so when yeah. someone says Marvel's got a global box office on Avengers 1.5 and Justice League does 1.2, then, you know, guess what? All the Marvel fanboys are going to be shitting all over the DC guys because they didn't make the money. Yeah. But DC, I, I think, like you said, the bubbly movies, Marvel has got that camp hit pretty tight. And there's nothing wrong with it. I'm not no, sitting not here saying all. that there's anything wrong. I'm not over here with a fedora and a neck beard saying, oh, those are fucking kiddie movies and they're yep. too this, that, or the other. Now, the Marvel movies are fine. I'm just yep. saying it's okay to be uh, to be an alternative and to go a different direction. With yeah, what you I mean, look at, look at Green Lantern. <laughs> that was yeah, them trying exactly. to be Marvel. There you go. <laughs> it was just a joke. Like I said. <laughs> um, so we're, we're in agreement on that. Um... The Suicide Squad images, starting with the Joker, um, people lost their fucking minds when that Joker image came out. Um, for those of who have somehow managed to not see this and be interested, um, the Joker has gold or silver teeth and a lot of tattoos, and people went apeshit. Uh, first of all, isn't there an interpretation? I swear I've seen it, like Mark Miller or something, where there's a, a comic book story where Joker has a lot of tattoos. Isn't that... There's something out there that's a, about that. I know I've I'm seen not, images of yeah, it. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm sure with the thousands of different varieties of characters that they have now and different universes within the universe, it, it, there's got to be an interpretation of so, Joker. So, so what'd you do? Did you go crazy when you saw it? Or what do you, what do you think? I mean, of course I was taken aback by it just because it's so different it than, is it is you know yeah extreme yeah and um i i'm not too upset about it the only thing that i worry about is is he trying to make the joker an interpretation of what he thinks a modern day prisoner looks like and then if so in 20 years is this movie gonna be extremely dated you know because yeah. this yeah. is what the modern prisoner looks like and he's all tatted up and you know, he's got the grill. It's just... I'm fine as long as they can contextualize what they're doing with it. If they can tell a good story, I don't care. He can look like whatever the hell. Yeah, and, I, and, and to me... Okay, I agree. At first, I was just like, wow, it's it's extreme. But at the same time, it's an interpretation. Uh, Heath Ledger's Joker, which we all will praise to the very end, yep. um, looked like a fucking homeless person the first time we saw you know you know what I mean he looked like a vagrant he looked ridiculous um and his uh choker smile was a was a was a Glasgow smile which mm-hmm. I am 
I mean, I haven't seen in the cartoons and in the comic books that I read it ever interpreted that way. So yeah. that right there was an interpretation, and that is going to be a performance we praise forever. Um, Jack Nicholson was probably the only one who came close to actually portraying the Joker from the way we've seen him on the in the comics and in the cartoons. Oh, well, and um, Cesar Romero also, obviously. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah. his mustache. But Cesar Romero is something that we kind of, you know, lovingly laugh about now. And Jack Nicholson's, while it was a brilliant performance, also is not, I don't think, held with the same amount of veneration that uh, the Ledger uh, portrayal was. And the Ledger portrayal was a complete interpretation. So, yeah. I think the Ledger thing, though, Nicholson, his his Joker was pretty highly thought of. Yeah, I, I it, and it still is. Thing, it still is. Yeah, and it was just... I think because there was so much hesitation and crap when Ledger was announced as Joker. Yeah. That. Which was silly. I wish we would have yeah, had that it podcast was silly. then because Heath Ledger was a very good actor and but I, I knew I, he was going to be amazing. Yeah, I think with the image though of that, it was so jarring and different. Like, you're like, wow, okay. Yeah. Well, let's see what this guy does with. I, I'm I'm interested now. And that's the thing with, you know, Leto now, or it's. What what are they gonna do with this? I, I'm curious with it. Oh, I'm, I think like it's said, gonna be brilliant. I think I, anybody dudes. who's seen uh, Dallas Buyers Club is is ready to go on this. If you've seen that movie and you've seen the way that he can sink into a character and uh, portray somebody that is not him, and especially under makeup and all that stuff, and make a total transformation, then you're extremely pumped to see what he does with the Joker, and especially with I mean. Snyder is aware, and I'm sure Leto is aware that this is pretty extreme, a pretty extreme change, and they're going to have a lot to overcome. So I think the, the performance is, is going to back it up. Um, yeah, he, he's a hell of an actor. He's yeah. going to pull it out. Excellent. It's, he's going to make it work. Something that we, uh, neither of us could quite get comfortable with was the release of the uh, team picture that came out yesterday, the overall Suicide Squad. Um... Suicide Squad is what a lot of Harley Quinn fans are going to become after they see this fucking picture because this character being portrayed on a movie or in TV, Harley Quinn has been something that people have been waiting for and dying for for so, so long. And then the image comes out yesterday and she looks like your average punk rock girl at a concert in a bingo hall. It was it was upsetting. Yeah, the whole I'm deal still, was upsetting. I'm still kind of just shaking my head and hoping that that you know wasn't just some bad cosplay image that got leaked online. That's I what, just that's what, it doesn't even look like a cosplay image because a cosplay would be more accurate. Yeah, blue hair I, in this. Like, where is the red and the black? Like, where is? Yeah, and like I said, it's gonna make me sound like a hypocrite because it's like, oh, with you know the Joker, let's wait and see. But this, I am trying to figure out how any person that's on that roster and on that image is a legit threat to fucking Batman, let alone Superman. Well, that that's that's the part where they're gonna have to uh where they're gonna have to flesh out the characters and do a good job of showing us that. My yeah. main thing was when the image of the Joker came out, you could look at that picture, you could drop that person into any movie and you'd be like, that is the fucking Joker. Like yeah. there's no he still was faithful to the character. I'm looking at that Suicide Squad picture, and the only person that I could really pick out was Croc, because yeah. he looked like a fucking crocodile. 
um, the rest of them, if I didn't already know that Will Smith was supposed to be Deadshot, uh, I wouldn't know. Captain Boomerang kind of looks like, because he has the jacket, and he has, I kind of figured that one out. Katana. Yeah. The rest of them, I had, I had no idea who was who or what was what. And that just is tough when you're trying to portray iconic characters on a screen to be able to just look at an image of all of them and not be able to tell who was who because they're that far away from the original character. Yeah, this is that's the kind of the problem you're running with DC's philosophy that we touched on earlier with yep. they're going the reverse route of we're going to introduce all the villains first and then throw them into the protagonist movies where how am I supposed to care about the villain and how are they in jail anyway and I don't even know who the hell these people are. <laughs> yeah. And that that's the general audience. You know, DC I think they're taken for granted a little bit how exposed their characters are. I think they think their characters have far more exposure than what they actually do. Because like you said, I wouldn't know Will Smith's dead shot unless I knew you know knew was, going yeah. into seeing that image. It's just and that's now the they did... thing is is if you're gonna use esoteric characters like that, then you would think that you're catering to a fanboy fan base, but then the way that you are portraying them, at least in in visage, in, in how they look, is not faithful to what a fanboy would think that they were supposed to look like. So yeah. you're you're in a tough tough kind of a valley. All I'm gonna yeah. say is these performances and these scripts better be fucking amazing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they're gonna how, have a problem on their hands. Yeah, I'm just thinking about it now. It's like, how am I supposed to take these villains seriously if they're already in prison? Well, the, the squad goes into goes into the prison to try and what was it? It was um, they're going in there to extract somebody or to kill somebody. All right, I I I know I get that basic idea. I thought from just the thing that I leaked that they were already in prison. So uh, maybe Joker I read in prison in the oh that's a, okay. Have you seen the newest um the newest animated uh, Suicide Squad movie? No, I have. The storyline I... is supposed to be sort of based on that, where I guess um they're all supposed to be going in there to extract somebody. But it's like a reverse setup because the government's trying to set them up to look a certain way. But while they're there trying to break this person out or kidnap them, uh, Harley Quinn runs across the Joker. And, of course, she's now she's totally focused on she has to break him out. Right. And then he gets broken out and the Joker is basically Satan incarnate. So things start getting right. fucking – things start getting ugly once the Joker gets loose. And yeah, that's so basically I, the way that I, I, the gist that I got from the script of this movie of how it's going to work. Okay, that, I, then I read that wrong. I'm glad because that makes a hell of a lot more sense yeah. than what what I was thinking. But yeah, I don't know. It's it's just uh, let's just see how it works. That's that's the they're main thing. A, they're anteing up a lot. It better be it better be something big. Um, over to the popcorn side, Marvel. Um, you sent me a text the other day that said, "Age of Ultron, more like Age of Doltron." Um, so you didn't, you didn't, uh, without spoiling it for anybody who hasn't seen it yet. Um, you weren't, you weren't a huge fan, huh? If you've seen the first Avengers, you've seen the second Avengers. That okay. it is basically the same plot, plopped into the same exact movie. I okay. Ultron. It's it's just bad. I I'm not the, the the villain was bad. You know, Ultron himself. I was expecting something else. Really? Um, they kept going for this Pinocchio, no strings attached. It would have been nice if they would have shown any damn strings attached to start off with. It's just yeah. all of a 
not getting too spoilerly, but all of a sudden Ultron exists and he hates Tony Stark. And it's like, it just didn't work, you know, and it's just, and it might be me just overanalyzing it, but yeah. it just felt forced. Ultron as a villain felt extremely forced. And he's a comedian. He's a comedic foil. And it's just, wow. when I think of Ultron, I don't think of a think of that. philosophy, sure. you know, yeah. and it's, it, it and then and the Maximoff twins, they they were just dull, you know, and they're just Wanda and Pietro just aren't very interesting characters unless Magneto's involved. And My personal opinion. Yeah, yeah. And you know, he can't be involved, you know, obviously mm-hmm. for legal reasons. That's so. what I've seen a lot of people were upset that they kinda that they kind of ignored who they actually are. Friend for the uninitiated, uh the Maximoff twins are Magneto's children. Um, I, 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 Marvel has recently retconned that. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, wonder why? Because there happened to be a movie coming out. Well, and so I guess yeah. Movie. Now they're trying to change that history around. Um, yeah, something the... else in the movie, and people yeah. were kind of upset about that. Which and I it's... get, I get being upset about not liking the portrayal of characters that you like, but at the same time, what else were they gonna do, really? Like you know, it's it, the Disney has or Fox has rights to the X Men. Disney has the rest of Marvel. Which I hope they get all straightened out someday. It really should be under the same creative umbrella. Um, if you're going to maximize what you got there, but yes, okay. yes and no, yes and no, yeah. Um, I... Speaking of the X Men, uh, first of all, well, how pumped are we, and how not pumped are we about the fact that X Men: Age of Apocalypse is about to come down? But from what I'm seeing, it might be the end of the Singer universe as far as the X-Men that we all know and love. Um, that he won't be making any more of these movies, and you know, we'll see it rebooted in six, seven years. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm not overly upset about losing Singer as long as they get somebody in there that knows what they're doing. Uh, I can come and go with Singer. You know, I think he definitely got help get this thing back on track. Days of Future Past. Yeah, for sure. You know, you know, I, I I really I think the Sentinels in that movie were far more menacing than Ultron's army, but I'll, I'll stop at that point. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, it, it, I think it's time for something to happen with X Men and with Fantastic Four being rebooted. Yeah. If Fox can streamline and somehow make a cohesive universe with Fantastic Four and X Men. I think it would be to their benefit because there is potential there with those two franchises. Um, but you're, you're talking about a film franchise that, for the most part, it's been around for 15 years and hasn't had the reboot yet. You know, yeah, Days of Future Past had the soft reboot, but it's still the same characters coming back in the next movie. Yeah, I feel I, like uh, like I'm glad Singer because you know without those movies we might not have any of this shit. Like nope, yeah, everything was pretty standalone until until those movies came about. Um, you know, a lot of people forget that uh, Blade is a comic book character and that was a comic <laughs> book movie and it's probably the most badass comic book movie ever. But people Just don't realize it it's a fucking comic book movie. Yeah. Um, so you know, besides Blade, which nobody even realized was a comic book movie. The X-Men movies were kind of the the beginning of getting into this whole genre, and that's kind of what gave us what we got now, is when we got now we have four or five comic book movies a year and uh, TV shows. That's something that I think um, maybe they should explore after the Singer universe goes away. Um, 
maybe make X-Men into a TV show, a weekly episodic TV show on a, a premium network where they can um, really stretch their legs with the content. Um, I think that would be cool. I think, I think I think the way I think comics in general, the serial nature of them uh, makes them pretty ripe for for TV series. I think it would work, but I'm positive Marvel still owns the television rights ah. to make to make X Men TV shows. I'm, I believe that, and so if that were to work, Fox would have to give something up, and Marvel and Fox just. Don't aren't gonna work together. No. Well, we'll they, see now that they've that's done Star oh, Wars. No, Sony, never mind. Yeah, that's Star Wars. Then, and I think Fox is still pretty pissed about Star Wars going to Disney. So, I think if Fox can keep X Men just to piss Marvel off and Disney off, they'll do it. That's unfortunate. Yeah. Um. Our last topic, something that's a little bit more esoteric to just me and you, but something that who the people who do care about this are gonna care about it a lot. Um. You and more specifically your your old lady, I guess, are are big Stephen King fans, and uh, I have a little bit of Stephen King fandom because from when I was a little kid, uh, my my mother was very into uh, Stephen King. So whenever I was spending time with her, um, a lot of the times we we watched those movies, and she told me about the books and all this that and the other. And then later on, now that I'm really into uh, lore and interesting um, mythologies, uh, I've kind of explored a little bit of the Dark Tower series and. Um, one of the all-time titans of horror, It, the Clown, Pennywise, that movie that fucking scarred the fuck out of every person. <laughs> that was I saw that movie when I was about six or seven, and I've been fucked up ever since. That's um, being redone, which in the first place I was very against because you just don't fuck with a classic. Um, it uh, has been recasted with the creepy kid from Narnia. I don't even know his name. Probably, nobody will probably know who we're talking about. Um, how do you feel about in general about the, the, that movie coming back and the development of it so far? Fukunaga has it, the guy who made True Detective, so I have faith for that part of it. But otherwise, I, don't I know, am man. I'm pretty ecstatic just simply because I remember how terrified everybody. I I loved it, but all my friends were terrified of that damn clown, and I ate it up because that just it cracked me up. And for this to terrorize another generation is yeah, just yeah. fantastic. That's the way yeah. to look at it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, like her, Tracy, her, uh, her brother, my brother-in-law, he is just terrified of clowns, and I think it uh, and Poltergeist had a lot to do with that. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, yeah, any chance to creep someone out with clowns is good with me. And that creepy little bastard from Narnia, yeah, <laughs> him yeah. and that just. His face just, you know, in that makeup, oh, man, it would work. I, I can see it. Well, and that that um that director, he does atmosphere and creepiness really, really well. The last time I really felt like, God, like, the last time I've, I've watched a show where I really looked at something and I was like, man, that is, tr- like, chilling, for real, was, was during, did you have, you've seen True Detective, right? No, I haven't. That's one of the ones oh, I need to. Man, I, I got to binge watch. Fucking go yeah. look through that. The Not director, behind. the guy who did all the directing and the show writing for True Detective, is the one who's doing it. And I'm telling you, if you go through True Detective and you see the way this guy sets atmosphere and sets mood and uses the surroundings to really get a a, a true feeling of um of eeriness and dread, you'll you'll be really excited for this. Wow, yeah. Especially since he's redoing it, you need to see that that series. 
ASAP. All right. ASAP, brother. Um, I'm I'm on season two of Game of Thrones, so I'm a little behind right now. <laughs> yeah. So is the show. Um, Dark Tower. Been talking about it for like a decade. Apparently, yeah. a TV show is is currently being developed. I, I mean, I'm excited to see some movement made on it. Are we gonna? Are we believing yet? Have you seen Have you seen anything that really makes you believe yet? Like this is this is really oh. gonna happen this time. No, this is like the third or fourth studio in the last five years. It's just, I think it's a gold mine. Uh, I would Absolutely. rather at at this point, I would rather see it on television than in the movie theater, especially seeing what HBO has been able to do and yeah. just the way yeah. TV has evolved in the last ten years. Uh, I would prefer to see it hit the small screen than the silver screen myself. Yeah, me too. Me too. It, yeah, it, it, there's enough content in there, and that's and I don't think it's something that the movie going audience would appreciate. But I think the people, the esoteric television show fans, you know. Yeah, yeah. That, that I think that's something they would eat up. And that's something that you don't have to sink quite the budget that you need to sink into a movie to get that green light. And that's why we've uh, apparently why they've been dragging their heels for so long on Deadpool is because you have to make <laughs> such a financial commitment to a to a film. Um, that that's why they were afraid to do it. But with the TV series, you can tap into that niche um, audience and give them what they want and get a real cult, like you know, hardcore fan fan base following if the show is good, and that'll that'll take care of itself. Yeah, I think it's got potential if it's got somebody with the passion to do it. And there, like I said, there there's enough content in that thing to make it work. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, we. Got ourselves plenty of content today, and I want to thank you for being on the show, man. Um, this is this is this has been a big one. Uh, very interesting stuff. I'd like to get you on regularly when these when these new develop developments keep happening uh, on our rotating guests, man. Thanks a ton for being on the show, brother. It is an honor. I, I, it's an honor and a privilege. Good stuff. Um, I want to thank all the listeners for listening. Hit me up on Twitter at mnorcal at capital M N O R C A L. Uh, any questions you got for me, any questions you want me to pass on over to Shocky for the next time that we record the program. Um, any thoughts you have on the upcoming movies or lore that we discuss. Um, hope you all enjoyed the show. It's a bit different, a bit, uh, unique this time around, but, uh, hope we can make this deal a regular thing. Um, thanks again, everybody for listening. And remember the card is subject to change. Good night, everybody.